This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Didier Sylvain and the Coherence Program helps us align our lives to our mission and our gifts, practice liberation from the oppressive structures and stories that we've internalized, and unleash our leadership to drive meaningful impact. He coaches individuals and groups into becoming fuller and more integrated versions of themselves so they can deliver powerfully on their missions by applying grounded wisdom and adaptive frameworks to life's challenges and opportunities, he helps leaders transform their organizations, their teams, and themselves. Valeria Tellis interviews Didier Sylvain, a life alignment coach, consultant in leadership and personal development, speaker, artist, composer, PhD in ethnomusicology, practitioner of sound healing, and Qigong. Didier Sylvain is the creator of the 12-week online group coaching program Coherence, which brings together BIPOC leaders and creatives to evolve their leadership and social impact. Didier coaches individuals and groups into becoming fuller versions of themselves by leveraging his training in intentional change theory, appreciative inquiry, adaptive strategy, and somatics. He helps leaders transform their organizations, their teams, and themselves to deliver their greatest contribution to the world. His personalized one-on-one coaching, group coaching, online courses, and discovery products have helped clients from Pinterest, Verizon Media, and Honda go on a journey back to themselves. Didier is also an artist, composer, PhD candidate in ethnomusicology, Columbia University, and certified practitioner of sound healing and Qigong. He currently resides in Los Angeles with his family. Meet Didier at DidierSylvain.com. Here is the interview with Didier Sylvain. In your own words, who is Didier Sylvain? I am a leadership trainer, transformation trainer, life alignment coach. I am a multidisciplinary artist and musician. I am the child of Haitian migrants based in the United States and Los Angeles. And my life's calling is to create and hold transformative learning space for people to 
step into their power and give their gifts to this world. How did you find your calling or the purpose of your life, if you can call that too? Sure, sure. Uh, so I, I would say that it's one of those things where it called me, and and usually um, that seems to be, that seems to be the case when um, experiencing a sense of alignment. And so um, I literally got a phone call from um, from a friend and acquaintance named uh, Alex Alexander um, and Alexander Grashow. He was running a uh, a leadership consultancy based out of Brooklyn. And we had connected through a, a community of leadership development coaching practice called Coro. And he literally invited me to join the new practice that he was starting. And so I apprenticed with him for some time um, and uh, through the process discovered an incredible sense of joy in the art and craft of coaching. And so answering that call literally changed my life. Um, at the time, I already had been in the leadership, activation, transformation, kind of personal development world. I'd been in that world for a number of years. Um, in my early 20s, I first started participating in leadership trainings and fellowships. And so it wasn't new, but I will say um, getting that call in a moment of my life where I was pursuing my own healing um, journey as well combined was the perfect constellation. And I've been doing the work ever since and feel grateful for it every day. Yeah, it really, it sounds like that this is the how to live, isn't it? Uh, to navigate this reality by doing and being what it feels true to us. And I wonder why some of us don't answer that call and don't live life in such a way. What gets in the way, Didier, from your perspective? Well, there's infinite ways that the mind tricks us mm. <laughs> so, oh, the, so the mind the mind is a, is a is a cunning cunning gift mm. yeah. Um, yeah. and a wonderful mm. gift um, and also incredibly cunning in keeping us safe less than consciously and so some of the most common ways that i find at least in my experience and, and what i witness in my coaching conversations at least three most common ways that um, we tend to um, ignore, hide from, deny, silence ourselves from the calls of our lives and callings of our lives is three stories, three lies, if you will, that we often um, tell ourselves. One is that I am what others think of me, um, which has us or people leading their lives from a place of needing to um, be liked and be loved and look good um, and feel good through that. So that's where we see all those people-pleasing tendencies. Another is a story or a lie that says, I am what I know. And so for many of us who live our lives coming from a story that says, I must navigate the world from the neck up and completely, and by that I mean just overly invested in a sense of being the smartest person in the room or needing to have all the right answers. And because there is some absence of certainty that, that the world is unsafe, and so that often can block us from the callings of our life. And then thirdly, a third lie I'd just say, um, this, this is just one way to talk about it. A third lie I'd say and story is that I am what I do, which is a very common one, particularly just thinking about some of the immigrant communities that I work with. And it's, a, it's a, also a capitalist story that over identifies with being productive and achievement and an idea of success being rooted in what we do. 
And my sense is that any overinvestment in any of these stories less than consciously blocks us from the deepest, truest callings of our life that exceed stories of who we think we're supposed to be in order to be loved. It seems to me like the more we are invested in these areas, in these lies, as you call it, then the more challenging it is, isn't it? To be ourselves, to get out of, of that cycle of trying to do something that it's not really working, but we stay there, which a lot of times it comes to me as living in pain. We get used to it because I have, I remember, and I just stayed there. It's interesting how human beings can get used to anything, right? And just live from that place. So another question I have for you that has to do with that is, how would you describe the feeling of, or what is like to achieve this true potential that we are looking for? You mentioned briefly the word joy, but what are the other signs, Didier? Hmm. The other signs that one is living out one's fullest potential? That's a beautiful question. And I don't think there's a formula here. Nor do I think is there like a singular answer to this. I appreciate the question for that reason. Everyone has their own unique expression of aliveness. And for some of us, feeling completely alive looks like an expression of voice that we never even have experienced before. We, we, we speak from a place of incredible deep resonance with the truth of who we are. Like we, we know it when we feel it in our body because of our use of voice. Or for someone else, it might be, well, what makes me come alive? I don't know. I mean, maybe what makes me come alive is, is doing some type of creative practice. And, and when I'm alive, I'm just, I'm writing or I'm drawing or dancing. And I know that this creative practice is what makes me come alive. And for someone else, it, it might be something entirely different. It might be um, related to some act of service with other people or leadership in the world. So um, what the question of what makes you come alive is a very personal one. Um, and in terms of the question of how do we know if we're living into our fullest potential, I would say, I hope one never finds out. Because the moment we claim or we believe that we've fulfilled our ultimate potential is the moment that we'll start dying. And by that, I mean, we stop consciously, continually opening up to the possibility of mystery and surprise and continual learning this journey of being human. So I, I invite and welcome the, the great power in stepping into potential, but I also give a word of caution that we claim to know what our potential always is. That resonates, though, this idea of no destination, not getting somewhere and staying there, that really resonates. And also the idea of when you, you talk about what makes us feel alive, so getting to know what that is and living that every day, every moment. I'm not sure how much that can be done. It has not been. My case has been always this dance, this movement in life. It's always <clears throat> knowing what makes me feel alive and knowing how to go back to it. But it was, there's always these nuances and moments of falling out of that. Totally, totally. That's life. And, and we live within the conditions of our lives. We have bills to pay and they're, they're institutions we're a part of and then there's systems of oppression that we navigate and live in, whether we're talking about racism or sexism or, or what have you. And so there are lots of forces and structures in place that 
um, we inherit that come at us, that play out, that create incredible inertia. And so I appreciate you saying, yeah, I mean, maybe I, I'm not a bad person because I don't feel alive all the time. It doesn't make you bad. It makes you, it makes you human. <laughs> makes you human, right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And, and yeah. we get to continually um, return to a place of experimentation. So much of a lot of my work, I find, and a lot of the conversations I have with people often come down to a single word, which is experiment. I find that the more people are willing to experiment and try something new, um, after hearing something new, um, that the more they create conditions for that aliveness to unfold. I have another comment to make about living this true potential. To me, it always comes as uh, the message seems to be that it is to find that place of acceptance, of unconditional love, unconditional self-love as the foundation. And whatever happens, the way it happens, you just embrace it in a sense of being flexible and uh, moving with whatever it happens, not getting to that space of feeling stuck and not knowing what to do or how to behave. Or even that, it could happen, but then there is this feeling of accepting that too. So everything is included and it, and it's, it just becomes this very miraculous way of experimenting life where you know you are already fulfillment. To be here in a human body, it is the ultimate fulfillment. That's the message that comes to me. So does it resonate with you somehow? It does. It does resonate with me. Um, and, and I appreciate you saying that. Something else resonates with me at the same time. It activates something else for me when you say, when you, when you invite in the, the truth, the promise that unconditional love is an ever-present reality and, and possibility for all of us to step into our aliveness, to unconditionally accept. That's, that's, I think that's a beautiful message to steward in this world. And so I'm grateful for you for sharing it. And it seems to me, and in the, in the coaching context that I find myself in and the training context that I find myself in, it often can be challenging for people to accept the full truth of who they are if they are not fully conscious of what that truth is. And the most sticky, lasting truths of our lives are those that are self-generated when we actually discover something for ourselves. But sometimes we have blind spots. And when I say sometimes, maybe all times as human beings, we have blind spots. And, and it can be very challenging to fully accept all that we are if we're not aware of some of our tendencies, patterns, less than conscious beliefs and behaviors that we do to, to look good, to feel good, to be in control, to be right, whatever it is. And so feedback, and when I say feedback, I'm talking about the incredible gift of witnessing someone else and offering your reflection is one of the most incredible gifts we can offer another human being, being fully present to them and offering a reflection from a neutral place. This is my experience of you. And that can be the most incredible activator of self-awareness for self-acceptance and the unconditional self-love. In the absence of that, it seems to me that we might be quite limited in what we're accepting and what we're unconditionally loving. Do you have any spiritual practices, Didier, or spiritual beliefs? Yes, yes, I do. I do. All of my work is fueled and founded and grounded in um, a experience 
that all of us are connected um, and animated by an energy that we may describe as love or we may describe as something else. In the moment, I will say, um, love is my religion. And one of the beautiful things that I believe that you're offering here is, you know, it, it reminds me about a saying from a musician that I love, uh, an American, African-American composer and musician named Sun Ra, who, um, who, said something very, who said something very similar to what you're saying around the unknown um, and around some of the dangers of over-investing in knowledge that blocks us from the currents of love. Um, he says that knowledge is laughable when attributed to a human being. <laughs> and <laughs> and, I, it and is. I really, I really like, I really like that. I really like that because it, uh, one, yeah, one, it invites a way of being in relationship with the non-human, um, whether we're thinking about spirits or energies or deities or the rivers or the mountains or whatever it is that one might hold as sacred. But it also invites the possibility that we can be free from the tyranny of certainty. The interesting thing is we don't really lose the feel, the idea of knowledge that we know something. But in a way, we gain actually this awareness, this um, perhaps it's, a, it's this an extra layer of perception that knowledge is not who I am. Or it's not, I mean, knowledge is very limited. <laughs> As you said, it's so limited. It's so limited. But because we are... Um, programmed and conditioned to use the mind in such a way, to rationalize and explain away everything, then we have walking further and further to the truth, really. That life is ah, it's something that cannot be understood by the mind. It can't be comprehended. It cannot be even described. But we try, don't we? Or controlled and all that. Because we do have the feeling that it is it's something that we can do, that we can explain it away, that we can control it, manipulate it. Actually, I don't think it's true. I, I have to really say that it's straight <laughs> about the, uh, the idea of control, free will, and all that. I don't believe um, in any of it. But that's another conversation. Yeah. It's related. It's related. I it think is. it's related. <laughs> I think it's related. Sure. So much. So, so many of the conversations... In, in so many of the conversations I have with the people that I coach and train with, there is a constant mission to reunite with the heart as the commander of our lives. And to live a life led by the heart is one that has the mind in service of the heart rather than the other way around. Um, because the mind is not, or knowledge is not evil or bad. Ego is not a problem per se but it can be an incredible resource and asset and service of our hearts and so may we all live lives led by the truths of our hearts may that be so so let me ask you this question what is your idea of success these days Didier what is to be successful to you today if I have done my small part to guide and support another being to come into closer contact with what's most important to them, that's a job well done. If, if I have left a conversation, having left a little heaven behind, as, as Cornel West says, 
um, that's the that's a conversation well done. Um, if I have have left a coaching conversation or a training conversation where someone has heard something new and is leaving being willing to try something new, that's to me is is success. Usually, traditionally, you know, people define success as how well I've done for myself, and and sometimes people make that a distinction from significance, like how well I do for myself and how well I do for others. Um, but I think about service um, as the main metric for success. How well am I doing in serving and offering my gifts towards the collective optimal good, um, mm. even in a one-on-one conversation? What a beautiful message for all of us. I asked my husband the other day, he was actually getting emotional about around the topic of helping others and how wonderful and special it feels to help other people to be a service, as you said. And then I asked him, do you wonder why it feels so good and so true to help others? Why is that um, something so elevated? What does it bring us to this space of the heart, as you mentioned before, of love? What is it? I mean, he didn't answer the question. Um, he was thinking, thinking, and then I, I just said to him, is that because we are all connected? Don't you think that's the reason? Because there is no really separation between you and me and everyone, everyone else and everything else. Would that resonate? And he was still thinking, up to now he's still thinking. <laughs> he didn't really <laughs> went back. But what do you think? Is that something that resonates with you too, Didier? You, you didn't mention earlier about Everything is connected. No separation, really. It's just an illusion that everything's separated. So is that the reason why we feel so good when we are at service and help others? Yeah, well, I, um, I'll firstly say that I don't assume that all people are driven by being of service to others. Um, and I also don't assume that all people want to be of service and all people derive incredible meaning from being of service to others. I actually, I, I don't assume that about all people. Um, I, I like the idea of it and it certainly feels true in my life. It's true for most people I know. Um, but I also have experienced and witnessed people getting incredible pleasure from narcissism and self-serving violence. And so we have plenty of examples in throughout human history. So um, for those of us, which is a different but maybe related conversation, but for those of us who do feel a conscious drive by meaningful contribution, for those of us who feel a meaningful drive by being of service to others, what is it about that? Like, why, why do we find so much value? And I think that's a beautiful question. And one thing that comes up for me definitely is what I'm kind of naming here around a, a realization of an interdependent reality that we're all a part of, that that interdependence becomes realized. And oh, it's almost like a homecoming. When I give you something, when I am of service to you and your life is elevated, I feel, oh, actually, there's a sense of home coming. I've, I'm actually returning to a truth that I've always known and I've detached from, which is this sense of us all being part of the same fabric and, and energy and current. And so I think there's some type of joy of homecoming I think people get from making a contribution. And also, um, I mean, there's a, there's a sense that 
and this to me is a is a call of the soul that each of us have a unique set of gifts to be offered to the collective good. We all have unique gifts and that's why we are here. We're all part of one orchestra, <laughs> one tapestry. And when when our gifts are given, it is the soul's ultimate realization of why we're here, I find. And so there's, in a way, sometimes it can be no greater satisfaction than the contribution of soul. Yeah. Beautifully expressed. I love the way you speak. <laughs> it's very clear and beautiful. But when you talk about some of us who have not realized or don't understand this connectivity or interdependence and how everything's connected, do you somehow see that as well as a gift in a way? By doing what they do, they become the catalyst of goodness in others. So we can feel the difference, per se, of coming from a place of love or coming from a place of fear. So I'm wondering if you see it the same way when you mention people who do harm, who actually don't have any kind of awareness of what this is all about. Do you see that as a gift as well, bringing that idea of unconditional love, coming from that space of unconditional love? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am, um, if I'm understanding your your question um, as intended, um, everything can be a gift. And um, one of the incredible um, gifts of being human is that we get to be meaning makers. We get to find the value and the provision and the resource in every single aspect of our lives, which can be very challenging in the midst of pain to say, oh, that there actually is, there's a there's a resource here for you in the midst of this pain. And I stand by that truth. I'm just thinking about my own life, the greatest liberations that I've experienced, the greatest homecoming and revelations and, and unfoldings and alignment of my life have come from the most painful experiences of my life. And so I do believe that there is resource in everything. And part of my work is to support people to discover the resources that are present and available through the pains of their life, to actually look at the history that has shaped us, the joys and especially the pains, and through that to find a kernel of full-bodied wisdom that this actually happened in a way that's opened up this other thing for me and that what I've survived and how I've survived my history is part of what fuels my service going forward. You know, they say that, you know, the, the, the medicine that's healed us is the medicine we're meant to give to others. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in that and big believer resource of Minas, yeah. You are a life alignment coach, consultant in leadership and personal development. And you also are the creator of the 12-week online group coaching program, Coherence. Talk to me for a moment about the main inspiration, Didier, to do what you do today and to offer these services. Yeah, sure. Thank you for that. So the main inspiration... Um, 
tragically, uh, is the murder of George Floyd. Um, and so in 2020, as the um, racial um, so-called reckonings in our institutions and in the streets and in public life um, was very public <laughs> and visible, um, I uh, received calls to elevate and co-elevate black leadership in the world. Um, I was activated by that in the moment. And since then, um, thinking about all of us, like all every single human being being part of the human family, um, I feel fueled and animated by movements for equity, justice, and healing worldwide. And the belief that all people, all people um, must be free from various, all oppressions of their life on the world, that, that may all people be free from oppression. That is something that activates me every single day. And so when I wake up, I wake up with the belief and the conviction that it doesn't have to be this way. I'm not, I don't have the delusion that racism will end in my lifetime. Um, and, but I do know that continued struggles towards justice is all that um, is worth being of service to um, when I'm thinking about some of the biggest struggles that we share. So um, these, these are some of the things that activated coherence. Coherence is a leadership activation, life alignment experience, a journey um, where um, people of um, various walks of life and identities come together in a conscious learning space to receive targeted one-on-one -on -one support, leadership training, group coaching, a series of assessment tools, a number of culminating retreat experiences to support people in getting clear on three main things. One, what's their assignment in life? Meaning what are they here to do? What are their, what's the, the, the work, capital W of their life? Secondly, to support people in getting clear in their gifts of which we all have many. <laughs> Thirdly is to um, discern who we're called to be. What is the evolution of our life in this moment. There are paradigms I've held and they've gotten me here. And who do I get to be now? Because it's a new moment now. And um, so it's supporting people to be more choiceful and more willful with their life. That's what coherence is about. When it comes to this intention that you speak of, coming from a place of willpower, have that I tend not to um, hold on to that because I have, for so long in my life, it never made me happy if there is a, such a place. Or I never had that feeling of fulfillment, of joy. But then when I let go of the idea that I can control this life, then everything just came to be. How much of our lives can we control, Didier? I'm not sure that's the most useful question, to be honest. Um, as I hear that, like to me, um, the question of how much we can or can't control is less generative than the question of what are my choices? Mm, yeah, yes, yeah. 
Yeah. And so, and I, and I say that, make that distinction, not to say that um, thinking about what I can and can't control isn't useful. I mean, there, there's incredible journeys people have in their relationships with control. Um, and, um, and I appreciate you elevating the delusion that sometimes many of us carry thinking that we can control our lives. So I appreciate that. And um, what do we do? What can we do? Who gets to emerge when I and you and all of us consider where we can be choiceful in our lives? Because so many of us live our lives reactively, less than consciously, and in a kind of hyper surrender where we resign to our lives and do not give the gifts that have been given to us. And so choice becomes an incredible resource to us. Um, and that and that will might doesn't necessarily need to be about a delusion of control or a need for a fixation on control, but it can be about a vehicle through which we give our gifts. Um, to me, that feels more generative in ways that may be supportive for people. Um, at least that's what comes up for me as you ask that question. Yeah, and maybe that's what I was trying to get to because I do not believe in the idea of control. Or maybe that word has been clouded and then it really resonates as manipulation, force. And then um, one of my biggest values is openness. So I love the idea that we can become aware of the choices we have and the options really, maybe not choices, I like the word choice uh, option better. So becoming aware of the options we have. Yeah, and, and we have options to, and I'll just bring in some different language here. Maybe some of, of the folks engaged with this conversation have a relationship with ideas of energy and, and, and polarities energetically, masculine, feminine. And so to be in a existence of openness. And I appreciate, I hear you um, of inviting the possibility of us living such open-hearted, unconditionally loving lives of surrender and openness. And to me, we are being open in a way that allows the possibility of transformation and ongoing change, because the only lasting truth is change. And so here we are both being in a position of being able to be open and fluid and flexible and simultaneously directive and conscious and choiceful because we embody both energies. And that's available to us in this incredible dance of being human. Mm, yes, and it is a dance, <laughs> an amazing dance. It's like samba. It is like samba. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> One of my questions to you is... Um, about the idea of liberation and freedom or true power, what would that be? What's the vision you have for those spaces of freedom and true power? I think this is a very personal question and everyone has their own way of making sense of liberation and power. It may mean something differently to every single one of us. For me, liberation is a process of being freed from oppressive forces, structures, and conditions, be it multi-generational internalized forms of racism or something else. Um, and power sometimes can be so incredibly 
um, complicated to make sense of because there are at least two ways most people make sense of it, personal and political. There's a political sense of power, I would say, in terms of access to resources um, sanctioned by institutions or, or government, and that clearly is unequally distributed amongst peoples. Um, personal power is something internal. It's, I would say, is a grounding in and a full embodiment of strength. Strength. What strengthens you? What strengthens you? And the more intimate you are with the things that give you a sense of strength, that's your power. Yes. Uh, I love your wisdom. <laughs> Thank oh, you I so love much. Your, I, love, I love your questions. There's, there's incredible <laughs> wisdom in your questions. Thank you. The body appreciates again. <laughs> I speak of the body as the, the vehicle, the which those wisdoms, that's not my wisdom. It just flows through and it does what it does. Let me ask you this question. To work with you, what is it like to work with you and how is it done? Online, offline, groups, individual sessions? Yeah, yes. So I do one-on-one -on -one work with people. I do group work with people. I do virtual. I do in-person. Um, I'm in Los Angeles and I travel. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. safely. Yeah. Um, so uh, all those yeah. are possible. And, you know, I would say that, you know, usually what you can expect is a combination of um, compassionate reflection and um, very directive prompts and questions that activate new discovery. So I sometimes talk about my work as a combination of inhabiting both windows and mirrors. Um, you can expect mirrors from me, meaning reflections of that you've never seen before, experienced before. Being seen, truly seen and witnessed is a sacred act. And one of the greatest gifts sometimes we can give someone else. Um, windows opened up new perspective, new possibilities for discovery. And to me, that's where powerful questions come in. Not only powerful questions that unearth people's unquestioned assumptions, but also challenge. Sometimes challenging. A window can be just, here is a new way to see. And it comes by challenging uh, something that you have deemed so true that's running your life in ways that are less than conscious. And so um, my heart leads the work. And so everything is fueled by love. And um, you can expect at the very least to be seen and to see something new. Uh, what a magical invitation. <laughs> I have to use that word. <laughs> Yeah, elevated, magical, spiritual. Thank you, Didier, for being you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation to be. And I do have a few more questions, the ending questions. But before that, I wanted to ask a question about something that you do. You're also a practitioner of sound healing. That caught my attention while reading about your work. Do you integrate sound healing to the leadership sessions that you host, that you offer? I do, I do. And so it's the type of thing that isn't always planned. <laughs> and so it's the type of thing that um, is really dependent on the moment, the mood, the energy of a moment. And um, so I play a number of different instruments. I'm a multi-instrumentalist. Um, and so sometimes that means picking up a flute um, in a moment of 
reflection, contemplation, inner exploration. Um, and the flute provides a drone or a soundscape or a container for people to explore within. Sometimes that means working with pre-recorded sound. And so I'll play music so virtually, it's quite easy to be, you know, just on Zoom or whatever, just using music also to complement and break up energies and to keep things fresh and fluid and to do one minute disco and move for a little bit and just keep things super dynamic. I find that also playing music can be incredibly resourceful and helpful in canalizing a learning space and also a healing space because music is medicine. This is, it's very unique in the sense, um, but it's not at the same time. So it's a, it seems like it comes to you naturally to integrate all of these, yeah, the, the healing components or the healing methods that we have in sound, music. Yeah, that's, ah, I can only think about nature when I think about music. Because yeah. this has to do with harmony. So nature and music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny you say that, that. Very much is the intention when I'm using music is to send people back to the true nature of themselves. Thank you so much again, Didier, for the work you you offer to this reality, to us who who are living in this reality or focused uh, in this reality. Thank you. So I have a few more questions, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything else that we didn't discuss Yes. I mean, one thing I'd like to share is that, you know, part of what I get to do in my work, which feels it's such an incredible blessing for me, is to imagine different ways my work can happen in the world. And one of the things I've discovered is that people have their own practices, their own rituals that they do in their own time, their own space, their own sacred space for self-discovery, contemplation, healing practice. And some people work with cards, for example. And I have learned the the creator in me, the craftsperson in me, has explored different tangible artifacts to make in the world um, that support people to go on their own self-discovery, transformation, and healing journey with a tangible artifact. And so the past couple of months has been an exciting period of time for me because I've released my first physical, tangible artifact. Um, that is related to the coaching world, but is for people to do in their own space um, or or not, even with another guide. I released a card deck. It's called the Coherence card deck <laughs> and um, for self-discovery. Um, and I want to mention that as a resource for people who are interested in returning home to the truth of themselves um, and appreciate working with different technologies like cards. Um, it's beautifully designed, if I, if I may say, with support from my dear friend Esther. And I drew um, the patterns um, on it, which is a great joy for me and another way to uh, just express. So I hope a tool, I hope the tool like that may be of service to people. So I felt compelled to share that. Is that available on your website? The cards? It is, or? it is. Okay. Yeah, it's available on the website. It's just my full name, uh, ddasylvain.com. Um, backslash products. Oh, wonderful. And I'll have the link on your podcast profile too, Didier. So my ending questions, I think I have three questions for you. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? One of the hardest lessons I've learned is that everything that I have ever resisted, everything that I've ever judged, everything that I've ever criticized in another person, 
And I'm thinking about those even closest to me, like family, like parents, like friends, like those dearest to me. Every single moment I've had a judgment, oh, they're, they're arrogant, they're narcissistic, they're selfish. Anytime I've held a judgment like that, I've had one finger pointed out at them and there've been three fingers pointed right back at myself. Because every single judgment, every single resistance is an avoidance of that very thing that lives inside us. And to me, that's, a, that's been a, at times, painful thing to, <laughs> to accept, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. but a very necessary <laughs> one and a very humbling one and one that yeah. allows more empathy to clear space for the, for the energy of love to flow. Mm. So um, that's an ongoing journey. I don't claim to know anything about this. I don't claim to have arrived at anything. I'm speaking to an ongoing practice of um, forgiveness and acceptance for um, for the incredible gift of being human. What is another word for healing? Integration. And my last question is, what do you love most about being in a human body? Play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> play as in play instruments or? Yeah, all play. of it, all of it. All, so, all yeah, yeah, so play. So, yeah. so I love... <laughs> I love playing with instruments. I love, so I mentioned I'm a musician, so I love yeah. <laughs> playing with music. I mean, I'm a, I'm a writer, I draw. Um, and so definitely play in the, in the creative artistic sense. Also play in the childlike wondrous sense. And so the constant possibility of discovery is so delightful. And to, to play with a pile of leaves that we throw up in the air and see falling down upon our face and onto the soil, the, the play of just exploring a new world, a new terrain, and, and the, the play of, with another human being and the expression of love and being in intimacy. Um, play, um, to me, is such an incredible gift, and um, I can't imagine being human without it. Thank you so much again, Didier, for everything that you represent, the human being that you're aware of, that you have become, and uh, everything else in between that could be felt. Thank you for being the beautiful you that you are. I'm so internally grateful and forever grateful for you in this moment, and this conversation. I, I trust and hope and pray that it offers some value and meaning to others. Yeah. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Didier Sylvain and his work, please visit D-I-D-I-E-R-S-Y-L-V-A-I-N.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.